0: Welcome to the Westminster Chapel Podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. I know a person who could walk through One of the great art galleries in the world in just a matter of minutes, pausing barely even for seconds to look at the priceless works of art, totally not getting it. It was appalling ignorance. I can say that because that person was, well, that's me. Hi, my name is Howard. I am the lead pastor of Westminster Chapel. We are in chapter 10 of a 12 chapter, 12 part series based on the 6th century book of Daniel and it's all about living in the now victory of God when all looks like defeat and today's message is titled Eyes Wide Open. It's about a deeper level of seeing to experience a greater level of strengthening. Now I want you to see this 1990s magic eye picture. And I wonder if you can see the 3D image that is held within it. Some of you, if you're doing this right, should be able to see a really large 3D hat. If you're struggling with that I and mean, it's frustrating, you just pause the video and try and look cross-eyed at the image for a little bit of time. If not, don't worry, just, just take my word for it. Daniel chapter 10 is about seeing the mighty hand of God, ruling in absolute control over everything, including the unseen realm. This is the the great conflict that's being referred to in verse 1. God is graciously coming to remove our, to remove your ignorance. It's been three years since the people of God returned to their homeland. They're returning to rebuild the temple, to learn the lessons of exile. They were in exile because of their sins, their sins against God, their injustices against other people. But they'd been returned and now they were seeking to honour God by rebuilding the temple. You can read about this in the book of Ezra But we get to a point in chapter four where their work is being strongly opposed and the people of God have become discouraged and they're losing heart. The work is grinding to a halt as the surrounding peoples resist them and oppose them and scare them and fear and frustrate the work. This is why I believe Daniel is fasting. He is distraught at hearing this report. He's broken hearted by it. He's been longing for this moment of return for the people of God, for them to flourish again. Only now it's been frustrated. Why, God, 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 what are you doing? And so he's he's praying. We know he's praying because we can assume that from the practice of really the whole book of Daniel. But also in verse 12, it says, because your words were heard. I don't know is praying but he's not only praying this is a broken hearted man he's adding fasting to his prayers he's adding this intimacy of seeking to strengthen his prayers before almighty God fasting when it's not done with a legalistic spirit when it's done with a genuine hunger for God adds something to our prayers it is saying to God you matter more than food to me you're more precious than all this stuff i could live without all of that i just want you i notice in the biography about jesus written by matthew matthew chapter 6 verse 16 jesus doesn't say if you fast he says when you fast See so also here that fasting isn't simply about the complete absence of, of eating, abstinence from food for say 24, 48 hours and so forth, it can be that, but there's more breadth in how we can express this spiritual discipline of fasting. It can be for a sustained period of time, like it was for Daniel, and resisting some not eating some food. Like choice food, the most most nice food, the delicacies. Daniel here, he's he's fasting. I wonder, do you share God's heart that's expressed in Daniel here for the plight of the people of God? Is your heart burdened for the church in the same way today? Sometimes church can become just a little add-on to Christians' lives rather than at the very centre and expression of how they are doing life. And so you might hear a report, it could be from the persecuted church, it could be from your very own church. It could be good news or bad news. And you could just well, what? Matter? Someone's lost a loved one. Oh, okay. Or you know I sometimes feel like a thousand people just got saved through Westminster Chapel. Oh okay. It's alright. That's not bad, is it? This is what we're this is what we're about. We are the church, the great living organization that's come to bring God's kingdom to this world that people would know him and not live in darkness but have the light of his love in their hearts we should be so gripped by the church that's what this part of Daniel is teaching us it is challenging us to get God's heart for the people of God, to, to have it with the same urgency, to want to pray and to add to those prayers. Fasting, that is commitment and sacrifice, to see God's kingdom come for breakthrough through the people of God that you, you are part of right now, this local expression of the church. There are some keys that unlocked Daniel's seeing that made him readily available for God to speak to. There are three of them in particular, and they they come out of verse 12. The first of them is that he set his heart toward understanding. What are you doing to really seek to know God and his ways? The second thing is that he humbled himself before God. How are you identifying, confessing and killing this great sin of pride that's hard to deal with because it often hides itself from us? Because pride by its very nature is a kind of blinding sin. Are you thinking not so much less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, growing in humility? The third thing is that Daniel prayed. I've mentioned this already in this sermon. We've mentioned it throughout this series. Daniel prayed three times a day towards Jerusalem. What about you? Is your prayer life intensifying through lockdown? Are you responding to God's invitation? Prayer works. Did you notice that? The angel says that he comes because of the words that you've prayed didn't maybe feel like that initially for Daniel though maybe it doesn't feel like that for you it felt maybe like his prayers were bouncing off the ceiling it had been days weeks before he'd got a, a clear answer from God why because the devil was delaying the answer coming maybe that's happening to you in your prayers and you do not give up but you need to keep pressing on because the moment that Daniel prayed there was action in heaven Working on human agency to bring about an answer to prayer. Prayer works. I want to encourage you to reflect on these three points in a non-condemnatory way, but to see and ask yourself where God is particularly inviting you to grow in seeking understanding in humility and in prayer that you might see more of God. See, in times of trial and crisis and difficulty like Daniel was going through, like we as individuals and as a nation are going through and will continue to in the fallout of the coronavirus and its impact on our nation and around the world. God, I believe, wants us to see, feel and know certain things that will strengthen us. That's going to be the three point structure to the rest of this message. The first point is see. the first thing that God wants you to see is Jesus. I believe we have here another picture of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. We've seen him already, I think, showing up in this book of Daniel. He's there in the fiery furnace. He's there, I think, in the lion's den. He's there in chapter 8, and now he's here revealed in glorious splendor. He is ruling over the Tigris River, the river of history. And we are getting a picture that God is in control. The true magnificent one is being shown to us. Note the parallels here with how Jesus is described to John in chapter one of the book of Revelation. Very close. And the impact on John, on seeing the glory of Christ, that he falls face down, very similar. That's what happens to Daniel. And there's a challenge for us as Christians that for really seeing Jesus, seeing his holiness, it'll make us want to fall down in a sense of our unworthiness before him. Bible geeks, you can spend some time as well looking at the comparison here between the priest Aaron and his clothing described in Exodus chapter 28, And how this picture of Jesus is revealing him as the the great high priest. And all of his clothing or attributes exceed, just go way beyond how Aaron is described. We're being shown here that Jesus is the great high priest. Priests bring us back into right relationship with God. Jesus is the great high priest. He's ruling over history, this river of history, to orchestrate it all, to bring about his great once for all sacrifice to atone for sin so that all who believe in him might have hope and life. Wow, this awesome, holy, terrifyingly beautiful vision of God. It even makes people tremble around him. They can't see it, but the weighty presence of God is impacting them. This is amazing. This is what God is like. I think of back into Exodus chapter 3, how he reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush, this bush that's full of fire, though it's not consumed. And there's this an appealingness to the presence of God that it's it's warm, it's beautiful, it's light-giving, yet there's a sense of holy fear and majesty, maybe even rightful terror of just the power of God. And this should have an impact on us, It should expose our self-dependency. It should reveal how utterly weak we are in comparison to him. Daniel verse 8 is saying there's no strength left in him. That's a good thing because it's challenging us, challenging you to find your strength only, only in God, in Jesus Christ. And to go in, gain a sense of awe and wonder that through faith you get to be in him. And if you're in this glorious Jesus, whose voice is like a multitude, then you're safe. You're okay. Wow. That's what it means to be in Christ. I want to encourage you throughout this week to start to study each little attribute description here of the pre-incarnate Jesus. And let it help you to savour him and to sense that I'm not worthy yet through the cross. He's deemed us worthy. He's chosen us us he's chosen to be for us despite our sin wow it's incredible the second point is that god wants you to feel to feel god wants you to feel his touch one of the ways that he did that in the old testament era was through angels And there are three touchings that Daniel experiences in this chapter. The first awakens a sense of holy fear. The second results in spirit-filled confession and prayer. And the third, in verse 18, leads to him being strengthened supernaturally. Angels are real. There's a poll that's been done of people in the UK that says that one in three people here Believe in ghosts. Now, if you believe in ghosts, why not believe in angels? I love this story. It's about John Patton, an overseas missionary in the New Hebrides, which is in the Southern Hemisphere, and he describes a time, a night, when they were under attack. Natives had come a surrounded their home and they were going to burn it down with them inside it. They're going to be burned alive and killed. So he and his wife, they pray throughout the night for deliverance and protection from God. They wake in the morning to discover that they're okay and there's no one inside. One year later, the chief of this tribe comes to faith in Jesus And so John, remembering this incident, asks him, why didn't you kill us on that night? And the chief says, well, you had all those men protecting you. What men, John says? That's just me and my my wife. We had nobody with us. And then the chief says, no, no. There were hundreds of men around you, tall and strong, with shining garments on and with swords drawn. We were terrified of them, so we fled. Wow. Wow, angels are real. If you need a biblical example of that kind of incident, go and read 2 Kings chapter 6. God created angels, powerful spirit beings, and he created lots of them. Jesus figuratively talks about being able to call down 12 legions of them at any moment. That equates to 36 to 72,000 good angels. So that's just I don't think that's the exact amount, I just think that's telling us there's an, there's an incredible lot of them. The point that I'm really trying to get at here is that God wants you to feel him. I know that feelings they can be deceptive and subjective, and we do need to be cautious about them, but we must not neglect the fact that the Christian faith is meant to be experienced. That there is this transcendent, aboveness, vision of this God, Jesus Christ, in glory, yet it's immediately followed by this God making himself known in nearness, in imminence, through angelic touch. This is what God has done in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He's come from transcendent glory to make himself imminent, present, near to us, even to the point that at the Last Supper, I love this picture, that he allows a human being, John, to put his head on the very breast of God himself, on Jesus, that he might hear the heartbeat of God. Or the invitation that John gives to to Thomas to touch his wounds after the resurrection to help him have faith. Or the way that he's given us today, the church, the sacraments of one-off baptism, that we might, Feel in a tangible way the reality of what salvation is, a death and a resurrection. And in communion, that we might feel and experience the broken body of Christ through the breaking of bread. That we might taste of the shed blood of Jesus through the wine. That's why it's originally meant to be alcoholic, so that you feel, you experience something of this tangibly that connects you to the reality of God's love in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Angels still operate today, but God has even gone further than that. He's poured out himself in the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, on all flesh. The Holy Spirit comes to make real to your heart the reality of Christ, the reality of the gospel, the reality of your sonship, your daughtership, that you are beloved of God. And we are told in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, to present continuous tense, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit, to keep drinking in of him, that we might truly experience him. Another way that we experience the touch of God, this ministry of the Holy Spirit, is through the family of saints, through the church, and in particular through this repeated practice that's emphasized in the New Testament of the laying on of hands. We try to express this in, in prayer ministry at Westminster Chapel, and I miss that. I long for that. There's a real power and an encounter that can be had with God through prayer ministry. And I want you to be so stirred to want that again. The moment we are able to do that safely at Westminster Chapel again, that we run, whether that's to the front or to the back, to wherever prayer ministry is taking place with enthusiasm and faith, because we want the touch of God in our life. God wants you to encounter him right now. You don't need to pray to angels. You should pray to God. There's not really any... A reference to praying to angels in scripture. God moves angels as we pray to him. But there's something more that you should be seeking. It's the Holy Spirit's presence and power in your life. The touch of God. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11 verse 13, How much more will the Father pour out the Holy Spirit upon those who ask him? So if you feel like you need a touch from God, You've never had that. You haven't had it in a long time. Just life is really tough. I want you to pause the service right now and pray with faith, with that promise of Jesus Christ, that he's going to come and be near to you right now in this moment. And you're going to know him in a deep experiential way. So, so far, we've looked at see and then feel. Finally, we're going to look at know. The first thing God wants you to know Verse 11, O Daniel, man greatly loved. God knows you by name. I may not know your name, you're watching right now. I tell you, God knows your name and you can be truly loved through faith in him. The writer John put it like this in his first century biography. He said, God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Not just loved, but so loved. When you trust in Jesus, that's your identity. Now, you are absolutely beloved with the greatest love possible in the world. You are not useless, rubbish, ugly, worthless. That may be what people have either said or implied in your past or even right now. I tell you, they're mere mortals and what they say doesn't ultimately count. What God says, the infinite, awesome creator and sustainer of all things, the saviour of the world, what he says, that's what you need to pay attention to. You are greatly loved if you're trusting in Jesus. For some and I believe I need to labour this because for some watching, it's very hard for that truth to really penetrate deep because you've been trampled upon. And because you've been, you've been trampled upon by the sins of others, it's, it's hard. The ground of your heart becomes hard, particularly in this area, particularly these lies are so strong, they're hard ground that the, 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 sometimes this truth can't easily, easily penetrate but today, I believe God wants to come and let it break, break in. Break in from the pain and hurt, the lies of perfectionist parents who demanded the impossible from you. Maybe domineering and controlling church pastor who made you feel pathetic. Maybe it's a spouse or a partner who just rejected you, didn't love you in the way that you always hoped and dreamed. Our Holy Spirit, God, release your Holy Spirit right now to soften hearts that have been hardened by the sins of others. God, undo the hurt now and let the truth of your word penetrate deep down right to the very core of their being, right into those lies, into that pain, to diffuse it with the light of your love, for your glory. Amen. Oh, whoever you are, you are greatly loved. I would like you to rewrite that sentence and put your name in it and to repeat it daily as a kind of confessional statement that is agreeing with the truth of God's word over your life. Whenever this false identity, this competing evil identity would rise up again. You want to know, no, I'm not going to live that way. I'm not going to let that control and shape the way that I am to, to be so driven as to perform to somehow please my perfectionist parents still because I'm never good enough. No, I am good enough in Jesus Christ. I am greatly loved to take ground against it for his glory. If you don't have this identity. It can be yours now. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be a good person. You just have to receive it by faith, by trusting in Jesus. God, in Jesus Christ, he comes to die on a cross to pay the penalty, the punishment that you deserve for your sins of, of commission and omission. Your wrongdoing goes on him, so it's taken off you so that you can be clean. More than that, though, Jesus doesn't stay dead. He is raised to life on the third day and through faith through uniting with him by faith that resurrection power can flow in you to help you live a holy life and overcome the power and temptations of sin it can all be yours right now i encourage you to pause the service to pray pray in surrender to god pray inviting him into your life and then fill in the form below on this YouTube page, and we'll do our best to get in touch with you. It's really important that we all are grounded in this identity in Christ, that we know that we are loved of God before this great unveiling, the veil is is pulled away, that we get to see what's going on in the unseen realm, otherwise we'll be overwhelmed. You see, a great conflict spiritual conflict has been going on all around us and for ages past. Angels that God created pure because of their pride have turned against him. They have fallen. We see that in verse six of Jude's letter. And they are working with Satan, the great sort of fallen angel, if you like, who's the murderer, the deceiver and the destroyer. And they are working to oppose the work of God with every deceitful deceptive way that they can we see that's going on in the passage this prince of persia this fallen demonic angel is seeking to influence the human kings of persia against god and gabriel angel gabriel i believe it's angel gabriel this whole time that daniel's been conversing with because he's the named angel in the book of daniel in the preceding chapters the angel Gabriel needs the help of another very powerful angel, an archangel or chief of angels named Michael. And they're working together to defeat the princes, the prince of Persia, so that, they, so that God's the one who's ultimately influencing and shaping the human kings of Persia. And we can see something of their victory in that in the first verse of chapter 11, in that they are able to, they were able to strengthen or Gabriel was able to, to strengthen the first king of Persia to send the people of God back. Note, though, that these are not territorial spirits. Sometimes you might hear about people needing to know the name of a particular demon over a certain area in order to pray effectively in that situation. That's just, you don't see that really in Scripture. What we have here are demons that are influencing certain um, administrative regimes and that territory is going to be taken over by Greece, the same area that empire is coming. And there is a prince of Greece that these angelic beings are, are, are warring against. So it's not, this, it's not a territorial area. The thing is that many people, including Christians, have become acclimatised or assimilated to the anti-supernatural secular worldview of the age that we live in. It's a hard not to be, and that results us us being completely blind to the fact that we are living in a spiritual war zone. Professor Richard Lovelace says this, much of the church's warfare today is fought by blindfolded soldiers who cannot see the forces ranged against them. Although I don't agree with everything in this book by Frank Peretti, This Present Darkness, it's actually a really helpful recalibration to the spiritual war zone that you are living in. I encourage you to read it. So where does all of this leave us? Fearful, terrified and thinking that you've got to, unless you know the name of the demon, you're stuck. No, that's just a demonic deception to make you think that they have more power than they actually have. We need to go back to that vision of Jesus that we began with, that he is ruling over the river of history, that he is in control, that he is utterly glorious. We need to see the victory of the cross and the resurrection, that Jesus has defeated Satan and his demons. He's stripped them naked. He's exposed their weakness, their powerlessness over him, and he's sentenced them to the prison he's limited their power and when he comes again in glory he's gonna utterly destroy satan that is the victory that is the victory that we have and we want to live in how do you do that how do you do that first you live in that victory by fixing your eyes on this jesus and you never look away second as you seek to experience him Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and third is by knowing deep in your heart that you are greatly loved. The Apostle Paul brilliantly summarizes all of this spiritual warfare living in the final chapter of his letter, the Ephesians letter. And to understand the tone with which I'd like us to read it, I want you to think of Aragorn from Lord of the Rings, this great speech at the Black Gate where he's there rallying the troops to this battle against all of evil and darkness of the age that they are living in. And he's saying, there may come a day where the courage of men will fail, but it is not this day. And he goes on like that and then says, men of the West, I bid you stand. Westminster Chapel, as we read this chapter, as we seek to live for the glory of God, this is the time to stand. Finally, be strong in the Lord, Westminster Chapel, in the strength of his might. Put the whole armour of God on that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, Stand therefore, people of Westminster Chapel, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances. Take up your shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given me in opening my mouth. Boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Church, please join with me and the elders with renewed commitment to fight together against the forces of darkness in this world, to see the light of the glory of Jesus Christ. Prevail That the church would not flounder or be frustrated, but would flourish. Stand firm. Be strong. Pray at all times. And join with us to see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people set free from darkness, from the power of sin, to the praise of his glorious grace. Oh, Lord, come, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, help us to see you. Give us that vision that would make us fall to our faces in holy awe of you. Help us to experience your touch, that we might know the manifestation of your love, your strengthening in us, And help us to know that we are loved. And though there is a spiritual warfare going on around us, help us not to be naive about it, but help us to take ground for your kingdom. Come, come, Lord. Let us have the privilege of seeing life after life after life set free, saved and set free from all of the baggage and damage that sin has done to them. In Jesus' name, Amen.